Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, before we get into the Gospel of John today, I want to take just a moment and I want to tell you thank you. Um, We've been in our year with Jesus where we're focusing only on the life and the teachings of Jesus for uh, six and a half months now. And over the last six and a half months, I have shared with you um, some new ideas, um, some ideas that maybe you haven't heard before, some ideas that I'm still working on, but, but all of it, I've shared what I actually believe. And as a part of that, I've shared my, my true self with you. And that takes a lot of uh, vulnerability, a lot of work, a lot of energy to do that, uh, to share my true self. And you, my Gather family, just keep uh, honoring and encouraging that truest part of me. And uh, I have never felt more myself than I do today, and that is in part because of you, because you show me love, and you are kind. And I, I just, I, I know that you don't always uh, agree with me theologically or whatever, and that's fine, but you are always kind and loving, and that means a lot to me. So I want to tell you, thank you. Uh, And now to the Gospel of John. Uh, Last week we looked at this really famous claim that Jesus makes about himself. Jesus says he's the light of the world. And we talked about how, um, you know, light isn't what we see. Light is how we see. So Christ is meant to be the way we see everything. And Jesus starts making these claims about his identity because there's a running debate happening uh, both between his followers, the people closest to him, and really his enemies, the people who are trying to Uh, ultimately get him arrested. There's this running debate around the question of who is Jesus because Jesus is performing miracles and uh, thousands are showing up to watch what he'll do next and the obvious question is just who is this guy? And so in John 8 Jesus says well I'm the light of the world. But that's not a that's not a great answer like it's still pretty confusing and so uh, the debate definitely doesn't end there in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then immediately everyone starts debating that claim. Like, what does that mean? And who does he think he is to say he's the light of the world? And so in John 10, Jesus gives another metaphor, really, to describe uh, his identity. And this is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, starting in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So again, let's just make sure we're all being honest here, like a little honesty check. Um, Yes, from Jesus, this is a beautiful metaphor, and we'll get to that part of it, but it's also a weird thing to say about yourself. It just is. Uh, Like, who's that guy with the big following who claimed to be the light of the world? Like, oh, now he's saying he's a shepherd and we're all his sheep. Like, cool, cool, cool. Like, what? It just is a little odd. And we should feel, as we read it, we should feel the peculiarity of these ideas. This is odd to say this to a group of people that you're standing in front of. These are big claims. 
And it's an especially big claim for the Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to because the Hebrew scriptures over and over again use the same metaphor to describe God. Like in Psalm 23, really famously, the Lord is our shepherd. Or in Isaiah, when uh, Isaiah 40 says that God tends to us like a shepherd tends his flock. This is a metaphor used for God over and over again over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures. And then Jesus stands up in front of a group of uh, observant Jews and says, no, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I am God. And the kind of God I am is this, I'm a shepherd. And Jesus's original audience, that group of people standing around him, they would have known exactly what it meant to be a shepherd, right? This wouldn't have been a far away metaphor for them. The, the shepherd's job was simply to protect and to provide. Protect and provide. Right? Protect the flock from any danger and then guide the flock towards um, a pasture of healthy grass and slow moving water. Right? Because if, if the sheep were fed uh, you know, grass of poor quality, they would be malnourished. If they came to a stream that was moving too quickly, sheep would be scared. They wouldn't ever drink the water. Right? So the the, the shepherd then was just protecting from outside forces and guiding the sheep around so ultimately that they would be provided for. Um, but sheep were super valuable in this culture. They were valuable to these individual families. It was often families that owned a small, uh, a, a small group, a small flock of sheep that they would be tending to. These sheep were very valuable. Right? Sheep were relied upon for food, for wool, for sheepskin. And because they were so valuable, these shepherds would stay with their flock day and night. Often it was the youngest son in the family who would have this role of being the shepherd until he was old enough to do kind of harder manual labor. But being a shepherd was not a glamorous job. It wasn't high status or high profile, but it was very important because sheep mattered. Sheep were valuable. And so ultimately then the job of the shepherd mattered. And Jesus says that he is a shepherd. He's not identifying himself as high profile or high status. But this role matters because sheep matter. The, the subtext here is you matter. We matter. You matter enough to have a shepherd. You matter enough to be protected. You matter enough to be provided for. You matter enough to be intimately cared for. This is what we embrace. If we embrace Jesus as a shepherd, and then we accept this idea that God knows us and God is caring for us. But Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That God knows you and God cares for you. God knows you and God cares for you. This is the role of a shepherd, to know and to care. You matter. You are known. You are cared for. I'll just say it again. You matter. You are known and you are cared for. And I have heard, um, I have heard this message before, this, this idea before, that God cares for me. Right? I have seen it cross-stitched from 1 Peter, cast all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I don't typically like the King James Version, but if it is in cross-stitch form, I am totally in. Right? I, I've heard this idea, and I bet you have too, but for much of my you know, you know, spiritual journey, my understanding of God has been so much future tense. Like, it, it's just about the next thing. So, like, yeah, God cares for me, but God cares for me 
like when I get to heaven, in order that I get to heaven so that he can care for me in heaven. Like I'm, I'm provided for, yeah, in heaven because I have this eternal reward. Everything was just pointed towards the future. It was about an eternity far away, not my present reality. And I think that I just missed because of my, my faith was so future oriented. I just missed that God cares for me right now. Like right now, like where I'm standing. That you matter. Right now you matter to God. Exactly where you're sitting. Not because of some future eternal destination, but because in this present reality, in this present moment, you matter to God. I'm not someone who matters because I'm a future resident of heaven. But currently, right now, in this moment, this is when you have a shepherd, a caretaker, a protector, a provider, right now. I wonder if you've ever been to a revival at a church. I have been to lots of them. Uh, In a a revival, a church might have like a traveling preacher that comes and speaks multiple nights in a row, right? You might have a a three-day revival, keep it kind of small, maybe a five full seven-day revival. Uh, You might have a guest musician or uh, maybe a gospel quartet if you're lucky. And the whole experience of each night of the revival would lead up to an altar call. So there would be music from the special guest. The traveling preacher would preach, and then there would be an altar call. And um, the the preacher, usually almost always a he, uh, he would invite everyone to close their eyes, bow their head, and then raise their hands if they made a decision to follow Jesus or maybe just to rededicate their life. So that traveling preacher might say something like, uh, with every head bow and with every eye closed. If you made the decision to follow Jesus, just raise your hand right now. Right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed. And the person at the guy at the front of the preacher usually say things like, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. The whole thing is a production. They're still happening and they are a production. Uh, but there's a popular tactic. I don't know if this is still happening because I don't go to a lot of revivals, um, but there was a popular tactic to get people to raise their hand because that's the, really the goal, right? This guy at the front, he's talking, talked for a long time, longer than he should have, and he's trying to get people to raise their hand to say, yes, I made a decision for Jesus. And so this is what they would say. Would say some version of, uh, if you are in a car crash on your way home and you die tonight, are you 100% confident that you would spend eternity in heaven? And if you weren't 100% confident, then you should raise your hand. And um, as a kid, going to these revival meetings, uh, I remember having the weirdest feeling about those experiences. And it's not what you think. It was not about the fear of hell or the emotionally manipulative tactics. Those were like par for the course. I was in for those. That was totally normal. But what was so weird about these revival meetings is that at the end of them, like when, when church ended, uh, no one prayed for us to all get home safe. Like this guy just said, if you died tonight on your way home. And from my perspective, based on this analogy that I heard over and over and over again growing up, a lot of people must be dying on their way home from church. And it just communicated in these tiny churches that my only real value in the world 
was to escape this reality and get to heaven, that none of this here and now really mattered at all. Right? That my value in this world was just about getting to the next one. But that's not how God is revealed in Jesus. You are cared for right now. You have a shepherd right now. You are protected right now. You are provided for right now. You matter and have value and worth and dignity in this moment, in this present world. And so for you, what is hard for you right now? What are you struggling with? What's going on in your life? You know, for me, there's a, a 10-day stretch in the middle of July, like right now, uh, that holds a lot of painful anniversaries. And maybe you have some anniversaries in your life that are just hard. Right? You feel the anxiety leading up to them. You feel the pain of the day. And so I've been feeling all the things. Like, well, all of it. And um, I had that ball of grief kind of well up in me. I could feel it in my body. And that's where I am. I'm feeling a lot. So where are you? What's hard for you right now? Name it. Put your finger on it. And then for you, if you're able to name that pain, do you believe that that pain, your pain, do you believe it matters? It's easy to compare and diminish our pain, right? We say it shouldn't hurt anymore. It shouldn't still hurt like this. I should be in a different place. I'm not as bad off as so-and-so. Do you believe it matters? Maybe a way to evaluate is just um, how much are you actually willing to feel your own pain and sit with it? Are you willing to acknowledge it, to be with it? To feel it all. Do you believe it matters? And then, most importantly, do you believe God cares about it? Do you believe God cares about you? And that might be a hard sentence for you. God cares about you. It might be a little triggering. I get it. And for me, when I'm trying to, to feel this, that, that the God of the universe, the divine love, the ultimate reality cares for me in some way. It helps me to remember that I have received care in this world. Real care. Like when stuff has hit the fan in my life. Like the, those anniversaries that I'm thinking about this week. When I have experienced family trauma. When we've experienced infertility, pregnancy loss, natural disasters. Like I, I can believe that God cares about me. Because I have been cared for. By you, by others. And so maybe for you, if you're trying to get to like, does the God of the universe, the creator of all things, ultimate reality, divine love, is that caring for me? Maybe try to call to mind, remember a time you have been cared for. And then say, you know what, I think God was a part of that. I think God was participating in that care. Right? Call to mind, put your finger on a moment where you have been cared for. Listen, you have a shepherd right now. You are protected right now. You are provided for. You are cared for because you matter. And I, I want you to know that all this care, all this shepherding, all this mattering to God, it isn't for the sake of control. Now listen, I know that a lot of you um, have participated in high control religions, and I'm just telling you, God is not trying to control you. 
That is not the role of the shepherd. This care from God isn't about control. It's not about manipulation. It is about closeness and it's about belonging. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It's not control or manipulation. God is not caring about you to control you. God is not protecting you in order to manipulate you. This is about closeness and belonging. And this is how I want you to think about it. Uh, almost a decade ago now, I called my grandmother, my nanny is what I called her. And uh, my grandfather, uh, our family patriarch, had, had passed a couple years prior. And um, so I was just calling my grandmother to, to check in like I did. And while we were talking, I asked her um, how she had changed in her 58 years of being married to my grandfather. Just what, what changed in your life? And in this conversation with, this, with my 80-year-old grandmother, she gave me the most beautiful gift. And um, she told me a story, and I wrote it down immediately. And uh, this is what she said when I asked her how she changed in 58 years of marriage. She said, um, in my house growing up, I didn't experience much affection. No one hugged me. No one told me they loved me or that they were proud of me. And so when I met your papa, I didn't really know how to show affection. And I thought it was kind of weird that he showed me so much. In particular, I couldn't understand why he wanted to hold hands all the time. It was so unusual to me. After we had kids, I would watch him and try to learn from him. He would hug and kiss them all the time. And over the years, the way he treated me and the way he loved the kids and you grandkids, he taught me how to experience and show real affection. And though it was so unusual to me at first, in the last few years of Papa's life, we would fall asleep holding hands. And now what I miss most about him are the small touches of affection reminding me that he's there holding hands, a pat on the rear as I walked through the kitchen, a kiss on the cheek. It took me almost a whole lifetime, but I became a little bit more like him in that way. And gather, you are being cared for, shown affection and love, not as a way to change you, control you, or manipulate you, but just simply as a beautiful model of unconditional love. It's never control, but it is closeness and care because you matter. And maybe, maybe after a whole lifetime of that, you'll become a little bit more like Jesus in that way. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today. May you accept this truth. God cares for you ultimate reality, divine love, the universe itself cares for you because you matter. Open yourself up to receive care and love and to hear the whisper of the universe speaking yes over your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.